0: Welcome to the latest episode of Airmic Talks, the UK Risk and Insurance Management Community's thought-leading podcast. In our series this year, we have been joined by a host of insurance leaders to discuss the broad theme of insurance beyond the hard market. And I'm delighted that in this episode, we are actually back to an in-person recording. And I'm in the office of Chris Lay, CEO of Marsh UK and Ireland. And someone, because of their background in captives, Chris, I've I've had the pleasure to know for, for some time, Time. So, for thanks for having us, thanks for hosting us, and welcome to Emmet Talks. Yeah, thanks, Richard. It's good good to be here in person. Absolutely. And as regular listeners will know, in this CEO series, I'm always ably supported by a senior Airmit member. So I'm pleased to be joined by another good friend, Scott Felton, Group Insurance Manager at Compass Group PLC. Scott, I think you were on the very first episode of Airmit Talks, recorded all the way back pre-pandemic in uh, late 2019, well, pre-pandemic on this over in Europe anyway. And that was all about the hard market then, which we were obviously deep into by that point, so uh, welcome back on. Thanks Richard, good to be here and I can't believe it was that, that long ago. Incredible. I know, I, I had to double check because we actually released that episode I think in March 2020 but I'm pretty sure we did actually record it just before Christmas. I think it was, wasn't it, yeah 2020, um, wow. So it was uh, even longer back than I first realised. So in this series we really want to discuss and debate the future of the insurance market, what needs to change to improve its efficiency and effectiveness and of course lead us. that could lead us into a variety of, of different directions but Chris we're going to talk about a few topics that you and Scott are both particularly interested. How do you I think that the conversation is changing with your clients when you kind of meet up with senior leaders of, of your clients in, in boardrooms how is it manifesting and what are they asking you or for Marsh for in terms of insurance and risk financing support and solutions
1: yeah thanks Richard well I mean uh, the pandemic has definitely changed the way our customers think about risk and the way we think about risk uh, we've all had the opportunity to learn over the last uh, 18 20 months that you know these low frequency high severity events uh, do happen although as you know we've been um, working with the world economic forum now for quite a number of years looking at risk and if you go back to 2007 2008 and even prior to that pandemic was in the top five Uh, but I'm not sure uh, it really resonated in the boardroom. So that awareness of risk, I think, is stronger now more than ever. And uh, and with that awareness, there's probably an opportunity to develop a greater understanding of risk and resilience. And that's really a conversation that's happening in the boardroom um, a lot. And the sort of the correlation between resilience and the viability of organisations and the opportunity that uh, organisations have to capture growth and to be uh, winners in, in their particular industries going forwards. But I think the other thing that's perhaps changing in uh, our customers' boardrooms in the discussion around risk is it's not just the pandemic. As we know, over the last uh, couple of years, you know, we've seen a, uh, an acceleration of other areas of risk, uh, and perhaps the sort of perfect storm as they all come together, cyber, uh, extreme weather, some of the regulatory issues that we're dealing with, supply chain weaknesses, you know, whether or not we, what we're gonna see on the shelves at Christmas or whether you can get a chip in the uh, in your car that you're waiting for already for a year, etc. Tell, tell, tell me about that one, yeah. <laughs> yeah it goes on, yeah. Uh, and then of course, you know, as we sit here uh, in the middle of COP26, you know, ESG, yeah. um, and in particular climate. So you start to bring all of this together and you can't help but I was reading actually a, a report just this morning before we we started our conversation about uh, ESG and uh, and the role of the, uh, the audit risk committees on boards and uh, how prepared they are for those conversations. So massively changing conversation, I think a greater awareness. And uh, what what we we are seeing from our, uh, our customers is uh, uh, a greater appreciation actually of the resilience of their organizations. Many uh, found that they actually can take a lot more risk uh, when faced with things in reality, as opposed to perhaps the theoretical analysis. And so um, that's given a, a greater appreciation of the need to look at risk financing in the light of that, a greater use of, balance, of their own balance sheets, risk retention, and how, in fact, uh, you know, resources and capital are deployed against risk. I think that it was the second part of your question. It was a little bit about what a client's asking of us or customers asking of us. So I think that that does come into a, a couple of buckets. One I'd call probably greater support on an advisory basis. And the second uh, would be more around a uh, differentiation in the transactional activities. From an advisory perspective, not all industries have operated the same in the last couple of years in response to these risks. So I think the, the ability for us to understand different industry sectors, and what the competitiveness of those sectors looks like, and you know what the winners and losers are gonna, uh, how they're gonna shape up and how risk impacts them. But I think, uh, particularly a demand for greater insight data analytics modeling capability, as I said, looking around risk finance optimization and risk bearing ca- capability of, uh, of of our of our clients on the on the risk financing side i mean differentiation i won 't uh, go into this any great depth, but you know how do we how do we stand out in what's clearly um, um, a more stressful market when we comes to talking about risk yeah. more generally? so um, we might touch on that that further, but whether it's uh, looking at the the type of um, the way we that the, the customers are presented to the insurance market, uh, the way in which uh, products can be and solutions can be differentiated for them and whether it's wordings, triggers or capacity. But uh, th- those are the type of conversations we're having, Richard.
0: Yeah, I mean, Scott, obviously obviously, the pandemic has thrown a lot of kind of best laid plans up in the air and significantly changed how all of us look and understand risk. But generally, how do you think the risk landscape has, has changed for you? And, and what do you envisage being kind of top of the agenda in the next two to three years?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting one, Richard. I think um, in many ways, the the pandemic sort of resulted in there being a bit of an eye opener in terms of kind of understanding and sort of, really assessing some of the key corporate risks that that we face nowadays. I think the, you know, if you look back, if you assess the corporate risk landscape of today versus what it was you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, um, I think it's clear to see there's been a, a fairly sort of major shift in terms of some of the key risks facing sort of large corporations. I think the more it's, it's fair to say some of the more traditional risks that have tended to exist in years years gone by have been sort of more tangible in nature. You know, I guess a good example of that would be sort of loss of or damage to assets which results in business interruption, um, they were far more tangible in nature, easier to identify, easier to model therefore. Whereas I think nowadays, and I think a lot of this has to do with you know, the onset of sort of social media, digital technology, a lot of these risks are now more intangible in nature. I think more difficult to, to model in many ways and could present a real headache. I mean, I guess a broad spectrum example of this, as Chris has touched on, is, is cyber risk, which frankly, you know, go back sort of 10, 15 years ago, was non-existent on the corporate risk register. Now it plays a significant part on the register. You know, it's at the forefront of every CEO's mind at this current time. And I think, you know, the potential the potential impact of some of these intangible risks is still to be or yet to be realised, I think, to a large extent in some ways. Um, I think this makes, them, as I've said, sort of very difficult to model. I think difficult, therefore, for the market, as well as buyers alike, to come up with solutions in terms of how we finance these key risks. Um, and I don't think these risks can be described as emerging as well, in some sense. And I know we're going to come on to that a little bit later, but...
0: Well, yeah, we will definitely will come on to kind of that definition or label emerging risks. I think it is I think it is problematic, actually, the, the way, that we, we, way that we use that a lot in this industry in, in commentary and how that shapes um, how solutions are, are developed or not developed. And uh, bearing in mind what you b- both just said, and let's take cyber as a, as a good example. You know, we've seen the huge impact, obviously, the pandemic's had on, on business and society over the last couple of years. And um, we got a glimpse, I think, you know, with the with Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram going down for, I think it was not even 24 hours, but it felt like a long time for people that use those services. There are whole continents which rely, and governments which rely on using WhatsApp, for example, as a way to communicate. And I think we got a glimpse into if there was a much bigger cyber outage, the whole internet went down, for example, how much damage that would do to the way businesses operate. So bearing in mind what you've both just said, what is it the insurance market needs to do, do you think, to to stay relevant and provide solutions for these complex and, in some instances, uh, systemic risks? I'll, I'll start with you, Chris.
1: At the moment, Mar- Marsh McLennan actually this year we're recognising our 150th, celebrating our 150th anniversary, and, it, mm. and it, it's made me think a lot recently about you know our, our founders back in 1871, where Henry Marshall sort of really keen to assess risk. Uh, as a client or customer would, not as an underwriter would, and it sounds obvious, but I think it's one of the key issues that we that we need to continue to address when we talk about you know innovating to address. Uh, some of the risks that are now top of the the, the risk registers for our clients. So, for example, the the trigger point of payment of claim, parametric solutions is something that's being talked about and executed on much more than it was uh, because clients say, well, I want the performance, I want the liquidity of this contract. So looking at the way losses actually pan out and how we actually... Can address the 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 loss and get get payment around the loss is is critical. I think also how you deploy you know capacity and also how you deploy the services that go around that. So uh, Scott mentioned cyber, for example. I mean, there's a lot of discussion around um, the availability of capacity, but but more discussion around the type of resiliency uh, that can be uh, deployed given the amount of knowledge we have now. So you know, maybe I don't want. Uh, to buy a certain amount of capacity, but I want all of that knowledge that that ecosystem brings. Uh, So being a a lot more flexible, uh, a lot more menu-driven, and a lot more appropriate around what's valuable for the client, as opposed to, here's my policy, here's my capacity, here's my price. Well, um, everybody's different, and they might have slightly different needs. So I think that that um, is certainly something that we uh, we're seeing. And I think the other the other uh, conversation that we we also need to have is you know when we talk about you know some of these more systemic risks, is what's the the role of um, of governments, and how do we actually uh, drive more resiliency uh, for our customers and society given that clearly some of these are now at a scale and are interconnected on a global level, that it's not possible for private capital to address all the needs of that. So those are a couple of things that I think are very much uh, front and centre in our conversations at the moment.
0: I mean, Scott, you've just been relatively recently through uh, a renewal, and I don't want—I don't want to preempt your debrief later with uh, some some March brokers and your underwriting uh, partners. But you know, you work for a big multinational. You have complex uh, renewals. What do you think the insurance market needs to do to kind of yeah stay relevant and ply those, offer those solutions which are fit for purpose for some of these complex and in some instances systemic risks?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think there is a need a greater need for the insurance market to take sort of real note of and sort of acknowledge the prominence and I guess, relevance of certain intangible risks, you know, some of those to which I referred earlier on, for example. Um, A lot of these sort of centre around non-damage business interruption. If I take Compass, for example, that's something on which I'm very, very focused, just understanding how do we finance non-damage business interruption risk. That's a key risk for Compass. It's a key risk for a a large number of corporates. So real focus in in that regard. But I think we need to work as one, by which I mean your buyer as well as broker, as well as the market, just to understand what are these risks here? How do we model these? You And know, the ways in which you model these key risks might differ from one client to another. I think that's important to get your head around. So I think we need to work as one just to understand what risk transfer solutions might be available, what might be achievable. However, this is a bit of a utopia that I'm here to be mm-hmm. describing here, because I know that this... You know, the need to innovate, sort of step away from the norm, is it can be met with some resistance during a hard market, I think it's probably fair to say. Um, but I think the market, generally speaking, does need to do a little bit more just to embrace you know, corporate risk landscape and offer solutions that are commensurate to the same in this day and age. Um, otherwise, I think if we're not careful, you will see buyers of insurance start to migrate towards alternative risk transfer solutions. Um, I think, Chris, you mentioned sort of parametric solutions earlier on. That's something at which we have looked as Compass, I know others have looked at that, yeah. because they offer greater value. I think certainly from the board's perspective, those sorts of those sorts of solutions are going to be of greater value going forward in terms of protecting the balance sheet.
0: And importantly, do they also potentially offer greater certainty? You know exactly if you've got a well-defined trigger, whether it's inches of rainfall, you know that it's going to pay at that, and everyone should know, everyone should be on the same page. There's probably less administration costs involve in managing a claim, for example? Yes,
1: I agree. I think, I mean, I would say that I believe that the the insurance market, and particularly London, we're sitting here in London. The London insurance market does have phenomenal capacity, expertise, knowledge, data, and ability to uh, deploy amazing solutions, and it's done it, it's it's done an, a great job over the last couple of years. Um, how, however, uh, to Scott's point, you can't stand still. I mean, you can't. You've got to continue uh, evolving, and uh, and and we are seeing clients. More often, not now taking the lead in that modelling and evolution of risk and learning about risk, I and mean, it's a great thing. I mean, so we want to be in control. Our customers want to be in control. We want to be in control of the development of and, and mitigation of risk, but also when we when we when we're looking for the uh, fulfilment of that financing contract, how it's going to how it's going to perform. So, I think that's a key issue for the market to listen to.
0: Well, talking then about evolution and development of risk. Scott, we touched on it a second ago. Do you think we as an industry sometimes use the term emerging risk rather inaccurately or in an outdated way often we hear cyber is emerging risk we hear pandemic i would not describe cyber or pandemic as emerging risks you know they, they are risks that are well known and understood of course our understanding of any risk is is developing over time do you think sometimes when we use the term emerging risk it can be almost a convenient excuse or or rationale for the insurance market not having the products or capacity available to address them
2: yeah i think so i, th- I think on occasion there is over Use of the description emerging risks. I mean, to your point, Richard. I mean, yes, cyber is still described as an emerging risk in some areas. It really isn't. You know, it presents. A- what
0: does what does the global risk report say, uh, Chris, about yeah. cyber? <laughs> well, I,
2: I, I tend to
1: tend to like to, to talk about these as accelerating risk trends. Mm. So I think it's probably uh, uh, because, as Scott said, these these are not emerging, but the recognition of them and the importance of the severity of them uh, can be relatively new, as we know. But.
2: Yeah, I think so, another, another good example of that, I heard someone the other day um, describe reputation harm, reputation risk, as an emerging risk, it's not. It's, it's always existed as a key risk to any corporation which could have a devastating impact, potentially. But I think the thing that has changed in the last like, 10 to 15 years is the ways in which these risks manifest. As I say, reputation harms always existed, but if you bear in mind the sort of the prevalence, the reach of social media in today's society, you know, the speed at which reputation harm can unfold and impact is far greater than it ever has been. It really I think,
1: is. I think the other thing that, uh, I mean, Scott, we've talked about in the past is that talking about emerging risk or accelerating risk trends is interesting, but the interconnectedness of risk is actually one of the things that's becoming more apparent yes. you know i talked to somebody last week about you know is just in time actually a concept anymore mm-hmm. um so you know business models are also having to change to uh you know respond to different uh, technology mm-hmm. uh, different customer trends and uh, and you can see the way risks interconnect with each other yes. is is becoming more complex and trying to understand the those interconnected uh, elements and how they manifest themselves is something that, again, I think is accelerating.
0: Well, that interconnectedness is is certainly is certainly apt to mention and, and something that I thought just at the very beginning, Chris, when you're talking about some of these kind of um, these risks that we're struggling to to understand and find ways to, to to finance. You mentioned obviously ESG, and we haven't gone into detail regarding ESG, but I've done quite a lot of um, ESG work recently with some with some law firms. Did you know, litigation risk aside. Associated with ESG, we've just seen the UK government announce obviously more public disclosures needed for environmental impact. That of course is going to raise litigation because these companies are going to need to understand you mentioned about audit committees, how to disclose this accurately, importantly not over promise, not overstate your credentials um, because that's going to lead to all kinds of um, litigation risk. But lots of challenges to, to address I mean in, in terms of my opinion regarding this emerging risks topic I think we could we, you could substitute the word emerging risks for or difficult to insure risks <laughs> I think probably similarly but if we're going to address those and grapple with those challenges Chris ultimately it's going to rely on on people and, and having the right talent in place in the insurance industry to, to provide and to develop those solutions what talent does the industry need do you think to be attracting and, and how, how do you think you can go about it because I know it's an area that Marsh are heavily involved in the
1: talent agenda is, is critical in fact I would say it's our number one priority. At the heart of that really is a di- diversity of thought uh, we need to bring you know different perspectives to the table every day and that um, you know can come from you know, the different backgrounds that individuals have and, and, and different genders, different age groups, uh, different sort of multicultural and ethnicity dimensions. I mean, but real true diversity of thought mm-hmm. is, is key. Um, I think along with uh, different skill sets that we perhaps um, need to rely on a little bit more in the future, um, as you can see, you know, ability to work with data, uh, to, to uh, really analyse and get the right insights, uh, to use technology you know, powerfully in that conversation. So you know, as, we, as we go about uh, looking at our talent agenda for the future, I think we have to really invest heavily in the early careers of the industry, uh, thinking diversity, uh, thinking new skills and, um, and, and, and thinking acceleration. Uh, because uh, it, it always feels to me that you know, a 25 year old is certainly much more capable than I was when I was 25 we can get tremendous value uh, from from changing the shape of our industry through accelerating that diversity and inclusion agenda.
0: Well, well Scott, I mean, obviously, insurance does remain m- in many ways a people business. In many ways, not just in relationships, but in obviously developing uh, technical solutions. How much kind of an emphasis or or how conscious are you of when you're working with various brokers or various in- or various underwriters, the, the talent they have available, and how how important is that to you?
2: Oh, I, th- I think okay. it is. I think for another reasons on, on which. Uh, Chris touches there I mean just for what it's worth I mean look, I've spent most of my career um, on the sort of client's buyer's side of the fence I did do a brief stint with an insurer when I first started out and I think you know so far I found the insurance profession to be very rewarding very enjoyable I must be honest um, but I think if you look at it you know alongside dreams of becoming an astronaut or a premiership football you don't get many children dreaming of, of a profession in insurance so and that, that's the reality of it you know m- most people let's face it sort of land in insurance Let's be honest. I think what's important is, I think there, there, there's a need to sort of dispel this kind of myth of, dare I say it, sort of grey suits and dullness that kind of sort of permeates throughout sort of people's expectations at this current time around insurance. And I think it sort of place greater emphasis on the part insurance plays in today's society, how it's relevant. I think that's absolutely key. I think to Chris's point as well, you know, if you look at the extent to which technology now plays a part in insurance whether it's pricing of risk whether it's you know engineering of risks so on and so for i think promoting that kind of thing means you're going to attract the right kinds of people with a slightly different skill set dare i say it than was required sort of 20 say 30 years ago but i think back to your question really in many ways rich i think what is important is having the people with the right skill sets some people who can analyze data, manipulate data, to a greater extent than just knowing a few sort of formulas on a spreadsheet. That's critical going forward, and I think you know we need to do a little bit more just for, to attract the right kinds of people.
1: Listening to Scott talk, I mean, purpose, I think, is key, actually. And uh, I might say that, you know, when I came into the industry a, f- a few decades ago, you know, the world insurance wasn't necessarily the proudest word on my lips at a dinner party. But like you, I, I've, I've hugely enjoyed my career, and I've really appreciated the role that, that our industry plays in making the world go round. Uh, and, the, and the purpose that you know, we at MARSH talk about promoting and protecting possibility becomes so, so important when we think about where um, the world is heading, where our customers are heading, some of the big societal challenges. Mm. Um, it, it should be a wonderful opportunity for the talent of the future and so we we you know we're spending a lot of time on on that and also not not just um, you know, thinking about those emerging careers and attracting uh, apprentices and graduates but also returners to the industry as a number of people are, uh, you know perhaps have moved on to uh, to do other things or have left uh, you know, Perhaps for career breaks, for different reasons. We're spending a fair bit of time also thinking about uh, how we can bring some of those skills back into the workplace. So, r- really, really important for us.
0: Fantastic. Well, it's been absolutely brilliant to have you back uh, onto, well, well, Scott back onto Emmet Talks and uh, Chris onto Emmet Talks uh, for the first time. So, uh, thank you very much, Chris, for having us.
1: Yeah, pleasure. It's been a bit I've really enjoyed it. Great to see you. And thank you, Scott. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, Chris.
0: If you are relatively new to Airmit Talks, uh, the uh, podcast from the Risk Management Association in the UK, then please do make sure you're subscribed or following us on any podcast platform. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, SoundCloud, CastBox. You can even ask Alexa, I think, to play us uh, on her device and she will play. Just uh, search for Airmit Talks. But in the meantime, uh, stay safe and see you soon.